And we are back here once again with another episode of the Iron Man podcast, episode 222 with Mr. Dojo Kun Comics, a.k.a. Mr. Brian. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the Iron Man podcast. Yeah, well, I already did Nightwing. I already did Batman. So I was like, <laughs> who else do I really like? Well, I do like Tony Stark, and people do like Iron Man right now. So, you know, it's a mixture of, you know, I do know a lot about Tony Stark and... Yeah, I'll, I'll be going over his new adventures he has with uh, Emma Frost, as they call her, you know. But uh-huh. they'd rather him get married. And even though in marriage, don't I'm pretty sure the wife takes your last name, but they had her take his last name. Oh, my God. It was just this is atrocious. But just seeing as how a lot of things in the comic book industry have just basically ran themselves into the dirt, even though people don't even see that it's happening. A lot of people still think that there's this random narrative that got perpetuated throughout these past few years of all the industries just doing better than ever before. Books are on fire. Uh, No, uh, books are, we are on fire. Dumpster fire, maybe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with how people view the industry right now, the industry could be literally on fire or literally on fire. Two different ways to look at it, really. There's kind of just a win-between with some of these people, but... We'll just start with your uh, origin story, which is, you know, how did you get into comic books and how was your general life growing up, actually? Oh, okay, Yeah. At age seven, we were about to drive to Florida, which is about Mm -hmm. two and a half days. And uh, we stopped at a 7-Eleven for snacks. Mm -hmm. And there was the spinner rack with comic books all over it. And my dad is like, hey, you want to grab a couple of those for the trip? I'm like, sold. (laughs) So (laughs) the first two comics I bought were an amazing Spider-Man and an uncanny X-Men. So I was really lucky that one of the very first comic books I ever bought was written by Chris Claremont and drawn by John Byrne. So yeah, perfect. <laughs> it's the it's the right way to get into comics. So I've been collecting ever since. So over <coughs> 50 years now. Um, <laughs> growing up, it was for the most part, the geek thing to do. It was not very popular back then. Um, It was, I wouldn't go so far as to say outcast, but it sure felt that way a lot. Um, Now though, being a historian, if you will, about comic books, uh, my son and I went to the Library of Congress earlier this year, and I asked questions of the custodian the librarian and the library of Congress, the one who is over all of the comic books. And uh, when we, when we drove off, my, my son said, you knew more about comics than they did. And I said, yeah, that was, that was pretty apparent. I didn't want to gloat at them about it, but Mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of disappointed that, that they actually couldn't answer some of my questions and that I was able to inform them on a few things. So it's, really crazy because for me the stuff that i learned about it the stuff that i initially knew a lot of it now changes based off of how like someone would even view that story themselves in comic books so like it's so weird to explain it to people because since this was such a an oddly niche thing there were so many fucked up things that happened and so many great things that happened and depending on who you talk to give or take you talk to the illustrator, the writer, the cover artist, or whoever, the stories are so different. 
you know? Then well, what's really weird. you're talking about the, mm-hmm. the experiences of the creative, um, the creators of the comics, they will definitely give you uh, varying replies. Mm-hmm. Some of them weren't treated well at all. Some yeah. of them were treated as if they were very important. And you're right. You'll get very different stories depending on who you talk to. John Byrne, for mm-hmm. example, will tell you that he was treated poorly from one company to the next. And that's why he kept jumping ship. It's seemingly, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that he was jumping ship because he was, uh, he thought he was all that. But um, no, mm-hmm. having read a lot of interviews from him regarding why he left Hulk, why he left Wonder Woman, it all comes down to how he was treated by the mainstream. Then what happens with comic books is a lot of like artists and writers, a lot of people generally just had the idea that since they wrote it or they made it, that a lot of people actually read it and consumed it. When in reality, even people in comic books themselves only consumed a certain amount. Some people would consume the whole thing. Some people would only consume certain characters. Some people only consumed one character. Some only consumed one character's run when they kind of maybe were tired of the character, so they came back to that character. So you have people who, like, I guess my era would be if I if I had a comic shop at my disposal when I was younger. My era would be like from the nineties, right, nineteen ninety four to like now. As yours would be a little bit before. So I, I would have been in that era with like Batman Hush, Civil War, stuff like that in that era. Mm-hmm. The Infinity Gauntlet, you know, st- stories like uh, Secret Invasion. And what's really interesting is the stories in that time frame, I'm pretty sure I labeled those right. I'm pretty sure they came out in modern time. Well, that, that time period where that was considered where the part where people started getting out of it. What's interesting now is you look back and you look, you kind of look back on those kind of stories and you're like, wait a minute, maybe I treated you too harshly. Maybe because <laughs> looking at it even further beyond that, I mean, so some of those stories afterwards were, were, were so pretty good, but it was so like, it's like the, it's like, what, what's, what's that saying? It's like a diamonds in the road kind of thing, diamonds in the rough kind of thing. So like for every court of owls, there was always, you know, that all new, all Marvel stuff that people said they, they didn't like at all. You know, like DC, we said a Marvel day, all these bunch of different reboots, Cross Infinite Earth, led into Avengers New 52, then 52, led into Rebirth, and now they got Dawn of DC. It was crazy because throughout all these many years of DC, they've had like three different reboots since like 2011, essentially, which is crazy, is it not? That's, oh, it's definitely. That's Hey, you remember the building in 52 was, oh no, okay, I get you guys. Are you guys continuity issues? We understand it. Uh, we'll just make a brand new one. We're like, okay, yeah, so what I just read doesn't matter at all. Yes, right. they but, were throwing, but the new story, yeah, they, they were right? throwing canon out left and right. They yeah. were starting over so many <laughs> times that, like you said, there was no there was no getting invested in the stories because mm-hmm. as soon as you thought you were invested, they'd start over, and mm-hmm. and they'd reboot the numbers of the numbering system. Really I bothered hate it so me. much. When, I so when they much, keep starting over again at number one, that bothered mm-hmm. me a lot. But then all of a sudden, for a very short amount of time, they decided they were going with legacy numbering. And I'm like, yes, bring mm-hmm. it back to the legacy numbering um, where, you know, it's Superman number 1204 because you're adding Superman, Action Comics, all of that together. And so the legacy mm-hmm. numbering. And then just as soon, just as quickly as they brought it on, they did away with it. 
and you remember because uh around this time period for the new 52 because this is back like when i was in high school that thing like literally basically just started i went to high school in 2009 so around 2011 that's when it really kicked off about 2012 when the avengers came in that's when it fully started kicking off their idea of it you remember it was that basically you didn't have to kind of read everything before that's going to create a new continuity new backstories for the characters like wonder woman had a new one where she wasn't uh, sculpted through clay, she was the natural birth. The origins of the Flash was changed. Green Lantern was changed. Instead of having Martian Manhunter for the Justice League, that everyone knew and liked, they chose Cyborg because that was a Jeff Johns thing. What's really odd is because that was their pitch. It's like, no, you don't have to know this stuff before. But then they literally made stories where if you didn't even know that existed, you'd be lost. That's <laughs> and then <laughs> right. then they didn't even and then some some books couldn't even have come out because they had this weird structure that Jim Lee said where. Certain books couldn't even have come out until another one came out. That way it was all in order. And it's like, so, so we had months, we're just, weeks, with just nothing coming out. Like, it was, it was just a shit show over there during that time period. Like, and people, there were, there, yeah, I agree, there was some good stuff that came out of it. But look at, people always do that, that like, what's the thing of like the husband beating up the wife? They're like, oh, he's, he's a good, people always do that. Oh, I mean, they got some good things out of it. It's like, but for the most part, it wasn't that great. If you look at mm -hmm. all the great things you did get, and that's probably like maybe 10 stories max that were really great out of it, was it really worth it? Like if you could ask them right now, was that really worth it? Jim Lee and other people that were involved at the time, they're probably, they're, they're going to say no because they messed up really badly. Well, in a recent interview with Bob Iger, the head of Disney, and I mean very recent, like within the next the last couple of days, he mm -hmm. said that Disney slash Marvel has really done some disservice to the stories they oversaturated they they put out sequels that weren't even that the first movie wasn't even well received so they wasted time and money on the sequels they're going to pair that back and do much better going forward is mm -hmm. according to what he said i will yeah. have to see if that turns out to be true i mean they have watered them down significantly mm -hmm. after endgame i think everything has been pretty mediocre at best um i still try to go to the movies and enjoy them but Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not the same after Endgame. Same, because I uh, I figured it was going to go on the route of the comic books, too. Once people lost the characters that they were invested into, like with the books, they tried to lean you on characters that are that were new. And, and the idea itself is not bad to get people invested in something new. The problem here is their execution of what, what is considered new. You know, trying to basically push like identity politics, all this like garbage, lecturing, uh, storytelling is garbage. Cause I was watching the first Avengers movie in 2012. I remember when that movie first dropped, it was, it was a huge thing. It was a very yeah. big thing. You know, it took a billion dollars in. At that moment in time, it was the fastest movie to take in a billion dollars. It took a billion dollars <laughs> in like seven days, I think, or something like that. It like wow. I always say the, the uh, Iron Man started the MCU, the Avengers is what really solidified it. Because the Avengers was, Peter Factor, and it was big when it dropped. And no, no one thought that was going to happen. I thought it was just going to come out and be like, okay, this is this is pretty good. And just kind of move on. No, the Avengers really, really, like, put a dent in a lot of people's heads about superheroes and teaming up and all that stuff. And it's really weird that if you look back at the comic books, I think one of the biggest mistakes they've ever done was not catering their comic book storytelling to what the MCU was specifically for Marvel. Because if you go back and read the books at the time, everything was just fucked up. Everything was just really weird. It was the completely unrelated to the stories that they were getting out to the normies. They were mm -hmm. trying to increase their audience by you know making these movies and all that. And mm -hmm. they could have really taken a cue from the movies and tied the comic books into it, but they did nothing of the sort. 
So mm-hmm. if somebody was finally interested in the characters like the Avengers and they went to the comic book store to try and find that that very lightning in the bottle, they couldn't find anything like it. That was the one time I think DC and Marvel had to rectify that problem that even though people love the medium as comic books, people love this stuff. They've always, even older people like like yourself, always say this. I kind of like to watch the same shit I'm watching on screen as that I'm reading because it shows continuity, shares synergy, right? They had one time to really capitalize on it, make a lot of money from it, and do the synergy thing that people always talked about right there. And so I told people, do you think that, I mean, you yourself are know this, but people obviously at the time weren't. Do you guys honestly think Avengers number, just imagine after the Avengers 2012 came out, they put out a new run of the Avengers, Avengers, the Earth's Mighty Heroes, number one from the MCU, a continuing story of the characters before Iron Man 3 came out. How much do you guys think in money that book would have made? A lot, because oh, yeah. the MCU was very big. It, it's losing its team now, but at the time, the the amount of money they lost, not capitalizing on Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Hulk, Thor, Avengers comic books, were just that, that that's so much lost money right there. Are you telling me people wouldn't have wanted like Captain America books before Winter Soldier, Black Widow books before? No, the, the interest was there. They just chose not to capitalize on it, and then p- people would have said, "How do you market them?" Because people aren't really into comic books like that during the MCU movies. You put a trailer out. These are you like you like the MCU. Co- go to your local comic book shop. Here is the Avengers books in written form. You can follow right beginning and the end of the movie. Do that. All See, you have one to of do. The things, one of the things they did when they took uh, you know cinematic license with these characters is they said that they tried to write it so that the non comic book fan would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. See, the thing yeah. is, to to not please the comic book fans, I think was a misstep because. Here's the thing. If you don't know anything about comics, you don't know if the story was canon or not. So if you made comic Mm -hmm. books that were canon, the the normies wouldn't have known that. They would have just enjoyed the stories and they were Mm -hmm. decades of stories that they could have picked from. Mm -hmm. And the the ones that were comic book fans would have been thrilled because the stories as they read them were being portrayed live on the screen. I think that that's the misstep they made. They had so many stories that they could have done like the comic book was handled. The Infinity Gauntlet that we saw in the movies is not how it was done in the comic books. Mm-hmm. There was there were some similarities, obviously. It's but more like they based did off Infinity Quest, actually. What's that? Kinda. It's like an, a mixture of Infinity Quest and Infinity Gauntlet. But I, but I, I, I told you the same thing as you, as you did, which is it's such a weird counterintuitive thing to bring up because people just won't understand the concept. Is If you weren't a fan of it, you wouldn't even know if it was a good story to begin with. They're just going to throw it at you, and if you like it, word of mouth will carry it, and people will go support. But catering it to non catering it to people who already didn't know that it existed is a weird thing because they wouldn't have known if it was good or bad. Exactly. Yeah. They so wouldn't it, have known yeah. there was anything different about it. Mm-hmm. Then so. there was there was the other thing. I you remember at that, at that time frame where Zack Snyder had to he had people going these big arguments. It was the thing where making a superhero movies realistic and i just it was that big narrative because man of steel he tried to make it like a, a realistic superhero movie and i kept telling people I mean, my friends at the time we were watching it, i was like that doesn't make sense you can't take something that's not real and then project your ideas into something that's not real even though that's kind of what you do in terms of storytelling that idea doesn't is just so counterintuitive it just contradicts itself a realistic version of superman that doesn't even that would even like 
plausibly applying your brain because right. we don't know what a superhero would look like because well they're not real so like like makes before that the media narratives around superheroes at the time when it was a rising ship you just could tell like these people were all out of touch these people were just all out of touch with even just how the characters were functioning why people like the characters what was really interesting about them it's like no one in comic books if you told people you were getting realistic stories they wouldn't have read them why? Because you went to them because they were escapism. So why would I want realism in my books when I'm supposed to read these things for escapism? It just right. wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you try to teach me a lesson in my comic books, I'm out. I'm not interested in lessons. I had parents for lessons. I have life to, <laughs> to kick me while I'm down for lessons. Right. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You don't need a comic book to teach me about what it's like to be a different person or a different uh, gender or whatever. Just give me a great story mm -hmm. and if the person's gender is different than mine, fine. Are they a superhero? Awesome. Are they fighting the bad guys? Great. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I'm looking, like you said, for escapism. I, if I wanted realism, I'll turn on the news. I want something that's fantastic, beyond the norm, super heroic, you know, something that isn't possible in the real world. Mm -hmm. So to try and make them realistic is counterintuitive. Like you said, it doesn't make any sense. It It takes the the super fantastic, amazing, in you know, incredible out of it. Mm -hmm. And it, what's the point then? Because the other thing that I've never understood how the industry is work is the pricing of the books, actually. If you look at the highest selling books of all time, even like, like the other series that are like good that people know about, the books never sold for the prices that comic books go for. And you start looking at the pricing of the books and you're sitting here going like, I think at the time, People would have paid more for them because the stories were really good and you liked what you were getting. But now they're in this point where people won't even pay $5 for them. But these books, you look at all the names that are involved with like editors, writers, producers, illustrators, pinup artists, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I've never understood why they're five. <clears throat> Sorry. I've never understood why they're $5. Why is there that a universal price point when they people know that's not how you can make money for them? But then again, that's how the industry works. It basically goes from they make it, distributors get it, and they sell it to retailers. That's that's the system. But how do they expect the, the retailers to make money off of that? $5 for a single book? The best book series of all time don't even sell for $5. The best book series of all time are things like Harry Potter. Those books sell for like 20 some odd bucks. Why is this $5? Even that 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 itself alone has a bubble to burst because we, we, you would know why. Because they started having the stuff manufactured from, from China. So they factored in, if I print 50,000 units of this and I sell it at $5 a piece, if I, if I can sell like 30,000 of these, I can make a whole boatload of money. Cheap investment, cheap pricing, I can get my money back. <laughs> yeah, that only works if the stories are good. That can only work if the stories are good. Once the story starts sucking, no one cares anymore. The story starts sucking, no matter how, many, how, many, how much money they are, how, how much you, you can print off your bottom line, that doesn't matter. So books, are, ha, books have gotten really screwed from that price point based off how badly the stories have gotten. Right. Um, if, if the stories were good, I wouldn't mind dropping $5 for 20 mm -hmm. to 25 minutes of entertainment of reading it, looking through the book and all that. But, mm -hmm. but as soon as you start throwing lessons at me, you start throwing, uh, you know, an agenda at me, I I'm not interested anymore. I mean, the, the latest thing is Nightcrawler's parents are Mystique and Destiny because Mystique shapeshifted into a man's form all the way down to being able to produce sperm, I guess, and impregnated Destiny. So Destiny is actually Nightcrawler's mom and Mystique is Nightcrawler's dad. 
I saw that. <laughs> it's like you. So they just retconned Nightcrawler's entire existence. So never mind yes. and Mystiques and Destinies. Quite honestly, um, never mind the fact that those characters. Came, well, the Mystique and Destiny came out in like the mid '80s, whereas Nightcrawler's been around since uh, the early to mid '70s. Uh -huh. So they, they they changed all of that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, never mind canon, never mind what they've been all these years. They mm -hmm. just decide, okay, well, now it's different. It's like, no, these characters matter. They've been around a very long time. You're basically crapping on what's gone before, both the storylines themselves and the mm -hmm. artists and writers that have been before you. And I don't like the idea of just dropping canon because you've got a clever idea or an agenda to push. You know what? write a new story, write a new character. I'd, I'd read it if it was something new, but you're wrecking yeah. characters that have been around since I started collecting. And yeah, like I said, that's been 50 years now. Even, uh, I don't know if you've seen this in recent books, they also made Nightcrawler Spider-Man. Yeah, the wall that's... crawler is now Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Wagner is Spider-Man. And I was like, huh. That was, that was pretty brief though, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they um. So right now they're redoing Gang War for Spider Man, like okay. all those Spider Men that they're going on. I I don't know why. I, I they have no these new people ideas. Are so stupid. Yeah, they have no new ideas. They don't know what to do, so they just keep rehashing the old ones. They brought back Superior Spider Man. Well, said this is a story written by Dan Slott. Probably the only thing good he's ever written in his life because you know he's just a pack himself. That you 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 just read about the way these people think so like dan slot and i we did an episode covering his tweets about how he feels about legacy characters and how, or like how he would view them oh my god that that is like that is just so bad like just yeah. reading what he was thinking from those tweets and then re and then hearing that tim sheridan video that's yeah. all, all only just solidify just how bad things really are nothing can change when you have people that are this stupid even with Tim Sheridan, there's a one crucial part in this video that a lot of people didn't, didn't catch on to that I did, which was when he said to the audience that we need to still prove to these companies that there's an authentic level of storytelling for LG whatever mm -hmm. to prove to these companies. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. So that means the companies know there's nothing there for these people because they're, they're trying to get some imaginary audience that doesn't exist. Why do you still have to prove to Marvel and DC there's stories for these people? That means that doesn't work. This, this, he pulled the curtain over the whole industry. It's done. Why are we still doing this then? What is going on? <laughs> I'm sure this there are fans. I, <laughs> I know for a fact there are fans in the LGBTQIA mm -hmm. community. I know there are. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, to pander to them is ridiculous. You know what? They've been around ever since comics were started, and they've loved comic books. I, mm -hmm. I, I have several friends in the comic book, in the indie industry, mm -hmm. who are from the, the letter community. Mm -hmm. And uh, one in particular said to me, you don't have to make Iceman gay for me to like Iceman. I've always liked Iceman. You know that he said, you don't, I don't have to, it, he doesn't have to be me for me to like it. And that's, that was very poignant when he said that he said, Spider-Man doesn't have to be Latino. This, this guy happens to be Latino. Spider-Man doesn't have to be Latino for me to identify with the things he goes through and the suffering that he en endures, the bad guys, the heroism, all of those things just need to be a great story. You don't have to make him me for me to like the character. And I totally agree with that. I, for a very long time, have been a huge 
uh, Black Goliath, uh, Luke Cage, Falcon. I have the first appearance of Falcon because I really like that character, right? I don't, obviously they're not white. So why do I like the character? Because it's well-written because they're great characters. You know what I mean? It, it, it doesn't have to be me on the page for me to like it. So when they start doing that and they start saying, well, we want, we want to represent them. No, what those people want is exactly what you and I want. Great comic books with great stories. Doesn't matter what gender the character is. Doesn't matter what they identify. Just give me a great character and a great story. And you know what? If they happen to be gay, that's just one of their attributes, like blue eyes, blonde hair, dark skin, light skin. It doesn't, it's just one of their attributes. Tell me the story. Don't tell me about them. You know? Another thing that really hurts people when trying to get into this stuff is the amount of books that are. So I told people in order to get into it, it's basically just type into Google list of this character's best story. And then they'll, you'll get a list of what is an aggregate of like, like, like their best stories. Cause mm -hmm. the, if you try to do it the other way, it's just much more confusing, which is like, where do you start with Batman? Well, uh, but back, cause even just explain to people how Batman works now. And this is going to be really weird for people. So Batman, specifically just Batman. So you have to figure that Batman, Superman and Spider-Man are like the biggest characters for these companies. So not only do they have their main titles, they also have adjacent characters to their titles as well. So like with Batman, you have Batman, just Batman himself having his own 100-issue run at this current point. It's like 100, 140 right now. You have Detective Comics, obviously it's longest-running things. I like them at issue number 1,040-something at this point. Mm -hmm. Then you have, well, this just recently happened was Gotham War. That just recently happened. Then they have this book that ties into the Batman 80. It's a basically a, a, a continuation universe of the Batman 89 movie. That still exists. They just finished the one with the Batman animated series, obviously by Paul Dini, Bruce Tim. That just concluded. Then you have Batman Beyond. People, you see how many that, that is? That, that's like six right there. Then you also have Batman adjacent stuff like World's Finest. That's Batman adjacent. Justice League versus Godzilla. That's Batman adjacent. That would count. He's literally in that, right? Yeah. Justice Society uses Batman. Uh, you also have um, there's another one about. Oh, we have Batman Off World right now. We have Batman Brave and the Bold. Batman and Robin. <laughs> Trinity. Catwoman. Yeah, you have Catwoman, Penguin. Stuff we're based around Nightwing. Nightwing is literally Batman adjacent. That, look, that, that is like 30 books right there. If you spent on a pull list, $5 for each of that, that's more than like $200 right there. Plus tax, oh, yeah. you get a pan, all that stuff. Spider-Man, you have Spider-Man, Uncanny Spider-Man, Superior Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, shit for Venom, stuff for Carnage. Like they're gonna do superior, they're gonna do Spider-Man and Miles Morales coming very soon. Then they just announced you saw this, they're gonna write the ultimate Spider-Man written by Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. What is all that, dude? That, that that's one so, of like 60 books we just listed there. That's ridiculous. There was a time where I collected all of the Marvel titles, all of the DC titles, Dark Horse, Image, and Valiant. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was possible to do so because that was about 30 titles. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um then I had kids <laughs> and I said, oh, and then the just the titles started exploding like you just listed. They started really having, you know, uh, tangents and multiple titles for each character. And it, it got to be far too much. So at the end of 1999, I stopped collecting. I cold turkey stopped collecting comics for about 14 years. Um, that was rough to me in as much as being a fan because 
I saw news reports and, you know, I, I, I kept seeing things in, uh, in the comic book stores, in the mainstream stores, like, uh, you know, Kmart, Walmart, et cetera. I saw the comic books and I'd be like, oh, I'd really like to buy those, but no, I'm not gonna, because I knew that I would get back into it. And here's here's how it happens. It's almost like, you know, the first bag is free. Um, a friend of mine started reading Iron Man. He loved the character, okay? And I got him involved in it and he loved it. But then there was a crossover with Spider-Man. And so he started, he's like, oh, I gotta get the crossover issues. So he started buying those crossover issues and then he got hooked on Spider-Man and then Spider-Man <laughs> had a crossover with, he's like, Oh, you know what he did? He handed me the whole box of comic books and said, take these away from me. <laughs> so he stopped yeah. collecting. He's like, I can see where this is going. This is going to be my I whole the life. Same problem goes, too. Yeah. He's like, I kind of, kind of like you, Brian, and I'm not going to do that. So he handed me the whole box and said, get this away from me before it becomes a thing. <laughs> So even just with what you just mentioned right there, we got to factor in a pull list. People, people say, well, what's a pull list? Okay, so basically it is a subscription form where you go to your local comic book store and you'd be like, hey, I want these characters and this titles and that's it, okay? Right. Now it adds up in money. So if you have three Spider-Man titles, guys, and those books are $5.99, that's going to be almost $27. That's just for three books. That's just for one character, you know? So you got to right. factor in all these different characters you would want, all these different stories, all these different offspring. It's just too much, dude. It's just, it it's way too, I can't expect someone to get into Batman. Where would you even start? Just, there's like six Batman titles that just sold someone. So like, and, and people will be like, are they the same story? No, the, the story in Batman and Robin is different from the story in Batman Brave and the Bold. The one in Detective Comics is not the same as the one in these two. Be like, are they both, Are they all canon? Yeah, they're all canon. It's just, it's a different timelines and it's like... <laughs> You start, it's that meme of like someone speaking and the next person going, the next person going, the person's just like, what? Yeah. You can't, I try to explain this to one of my, um, my ex's sister. And she was like, did you speak Spanish to me? I, I try <laughs> to explain to her, I try to explain to her like, like number ones. And she was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's, it's too confusing. It's just basically, if you don't kind of read about it, there's no way a human could explain it to you because your brain would just fall out. <laughs> right. So let's say, for example, I'm going to use my favorite character from Marvel, and that's She-Hulk. Let's say, for example, you wanted to go pick up She-Hulk. So you start looking up online, on Google, whatever, where mm -hmm. where you can start, right? Well, there's Savage She-Hulk. There's Sensational She-Hulk. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's Savage She-Hulks. There's uh, She-Hulk Volume 1, She-Hulk Volume 2, She-Hulk yes. Volume 3, and She-Hulk Volume 4. Mm -hmm. Now there's a new Sensational She-Hulk that just started two months ago. There's... Um, the fact that she was part of the Avengers, there was she was a part of the Fantastic Four. She was in A Force. She was in um, Heroes for Hire. She was in Defenders. So I mean, it goes on and on and on. Now that's a character I have all of her appearances. Okay, since 1980, I have all of her appearances. That's over 3,000 comic books now. Um, where would you start? And that's just She-Hulk. So we're talking about a character that didn't develop or wasn't introduced until. February of 1980. Now to the brand new collector, that's 43 years. But She-Hulk is newer than most of the ones you've been talking about. Batman, right, yeah. Detective Comics 34 was in what, the, the 1940s? 1940s, uh, yeah. Action Comics number one was in uh, the 1939. So, I mean, you go back that far, oh, it's approaching 100 years now. You know, someone like Deadpool's fairly still new in an aspect. He is a lot of stuff, too. He just yes. has so much stuff himself. Like, I told people, uh, go on League of Comics, 
see all, all the stuff that comes out and see if you you can buy all that. Just, just <laughs> right. go on that go on that website because it has everything in, in order for Marvel and DC, Image, Dark Horse. They have the indie stuff there too. Even if you just were to not just buy the, ma the major two stuff, you couldn't even just buy the indie stuff. How much indie stuff is coming out from oh, right. Image and Dark right. Horse and uh, Valiant or um, IDW. Just, Boom. Well, IDW might be under Sim because you know, they're they're just badly ran. But you know, just think about, yeah. oh yeah, boom. Just so much stuff, man. It's ridiculous at this point. Like, what do you do if you're trying to get into this stuff? I, I can't really help someone get into it. You just kind of have to navigate your own way. That's kind so, of all yeah. it is. If, if somebody were to ask me, how do I get into this now? I would say peruse, fund my comic, Indiegogo, and Kickstarter. Type comic books, and then mm. do the explore section. And just look for the kind of thing that appeals to you. You there will be something that appeals to everyone exactly. in the crowdfunding circles right now. Um, there are there are certainly adult comic books. There are noir comics. There's uh, westerns. There's superheroes. Everything. I think even romance is coming back. Believe it or not. So yeah. you know those. You can find something for everyone if you look at the crowdfunding sites. And of course, the newest crowdfunding site. Uh, for comic books specifically is fund my comic by Luke stone studios. And that site is um, it's really up and coming. It's got a lot of great comic books on it and no, it's not catered to any one kind of label or any one circle of comic book creators. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's really for anyone. If you're creating a comic book, fund my comic will, will take it and uh, hopefully do very well for you. So uh, I wanted to get into uh, how, what was the last time or the last character you bought anything for from Marvel and DC or any publisher for that matter. And which run do you think it was? So it was She-Hulk. I still do collect She-Hulk. She so my pull list says anything with She-Hulk in it or on it. That's it. Okay. That's my So pull imagine list. you hated that She-Hulk show, right? Um yes and no. Uh, while it was while it was playing, I was disappointed in how campy they made it, how cringy they made some things. But then at the end when I was told that they were they were doing it all tongue in cheek, trying to trying to be sort of trolling the fans a little bit, trying to be funny, if you go back and rewatch it with that in mind, it's actually better. Mm. One of my favorite She-Hulk stories was um, the Fantastic Four one you mentioned. It's the one where like she couldn't really turn back to Jen, but it come oh. to find out that um, she had, her subconscious was basically like she liked being She-Hulk more. Than actually right. being Jennifer, that those kind of concepts, man, that's what I miss in the books. Those kind of things so, that make you think, like, if I got these powers, would I like being my alter ego more than just my regular self? I love those things, you know. Yes. Those make you think, like, that's cool as fuck. Or like character like Rogue, one of my favorite female heroes from Marvel. Women are, you know, based off like being touched, and women are so are really sensitive. Imagine a woman not being able to touch people and just could basically just kill them from like essentially touching them. That's a cool concept. That's a great concept for a character. And how, how would is. that person function in society? How would that person have a relationship? How would that person like basically just do anything? How would they ever even it function around different heroes? That's what I miss in storytelling, dude. These awesome ideas that make you think like, hmm, that's cool as hell. They don't exist anymore. They're just like right. so bland. Yeah. It puts the characters in difficult situations where they have to really think – they have moral decisions to make, significant decisions to make. Uh, it's not just uh, who do I ident identify as this week. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> at Rogue gets to, uh, you know, she's got to decide, do I 
drain somebody's powers in order to, you know, defeat this villain? Or is that over the line? Is that too much? Um, she mistakenly absorbed all of Ms. Marvel's powers in Avengers 10. Um, even though she was a villain at the time, I don't yeah. think she definitely didn't intend to do that. She, um, she drained it all and basically took on Ms. Marvel's psyche, Carol Danvers. She uh -huh. was a combination of Rogue and Carol Danvers for years. It took her a long time to do away with that psyche. And that right there is a consequence of using her power. Um, characters don't face consequences like that anymore. The She-Hulk story you talked about was Sensational She-Hulk, the graphic Marvel graphic novel number 18, in which she was exposed to further radiation. And, you know, Reed Richards told her, uh, I have good news and bad news. And the the bad, or, uh, he didn't say which is which. He just said, Jen, I'm afraid you're stuck in your She-Hulk form. And that page was was iconic, where like six panels later, she said, so what's the bad news? Like, she was like, yeah. I'm good with that. <laughs> you yeah, know? That, that's, a, that's the difference with female characters then versus now, because a lot of people don't understand this because they just don't know anything. They just like to conflate many things together in one idea, which is the female characters back then weren't really just created to be females to the male counterparts. The people that got to create them and got to write their stories they made them different from the male counterparts like supergirl oh, yeah. Super, supergirl for example supergirl's not like clark in any way she's no nope. her powers work a little bit more different she has a different view of how humans function because she was supposed to come there first she got trapped in the, the phantom zone yeah she got trapped in the phantom zone i think at, at a single point how they view just how what they should be able to do it on earth is different there's so many different ways they wrote female characters and now they're just basically i'm a girl boss and i'm better than you because i'm a female it's like yeah that's just not interesting whatsoever <laughs> right nowadays they just write them as mary sue like uh this is one of the criticism i had for the she-hulk tv show and mm -hmm. that is as soon as she's she-hulk she's immediately better than bruce you know <laughs> and that, everything yeah. he's trying to show her how to do it she's already doing it better he's trying to show her how to you know, throw a boulder, she could throw it further. Or, you know, she did throw it farther. She, He's trying to say, you know, you've got to have balance. Suddenly she's like this absolute acrobat. On one finger, she's upside down and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, no, come on. There's going to be a learning curve. He's trying to be her mentor, but basically it's, you know, me, woman, man, worthless. And why can't they, why can't they be equals? What's wrong with equals? You know, they've they've automatically got to be better than the guy. And it's just like, that's not necessary. Um, she says she's in the story. She's infinitely more uh, deals with anger, infinitely more than him. Yeah. yeah. OK, but he's been the Hulk ostracized by society and the military for the last 15 years. Suddenly you're you, you know more about anger than than Bruce Banner, literally who transforms because he gets angry. You know what I mean? It's like so. I did like the later episodes when Daredevil showed up. That was that was done amazingly well, in my opinion. The last episode where they had that Kevin Feige parody where it was the the machine and, and they <laughs> yeah. had that back and forth toward the end. That was actually funny. I thought that was good. That was well done. It was a sort of a swipe at Kevin Feige. And it may have been a self-insert. He may have been poking fun at himself with that. That's That's good humor. So I thought that... Right about the time was about the show that was about to end is when it was finally getting good. <laughs> they said that there was going to be a second season, but now they've scrapped it. I think. Oof, because that was a that was a show where I was like, okay, if they do the fourth wall breaking comedy element based around She Hulk, I was like, okay, I can get down with this. And then some of the episodes, 
Remember that some of the episodes they were just a slog to get through, like the Wong oh, yeah. episode. I was like, oh my god, which episode? It was episode three. Remember how they had those uh, bats coming out and they were trying to talk to that? Oh my god, he had that annoying white lady that was trying to date him, that Madison chick. Oh yes. Like, okay. Yep. There were some episodes in that show, man. I was just like, why is this nine episodes? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'll ask you this. So you were around for a lot of things. So let's start with the whole Im image uh, comics thing. Image comics, you were around for that when it first came, became a thing. Absolutely. Do you think that's very similar to what Comicsgate is? A lot, a lot of people kind of link them together as, as a similar movement, well, so, so, so to speak. So for image, they stepped away from the mainstream, uh, the big two, if you will, and did their own thing. But a lot of what they wrote and drew we're kind of taking swipes at the mainstream. Um, mm. So, you know, when when Ramon came out, you know, it, it was obviously a swipe of Namor because they spelled Namor backwards. And then this Ramon <laughs> character was supposed, and I, I could go on, you know, Youngblood was a swipe at uh, the Justice League versus the X-Men. I mean, it's just, it was swipe after swipe after swipe. And I think that one of the things they were trying to say is we can do it better. Um, I didn't think that the stories had much substance. The characters, you know, suddenly you've got this character who they were trying to say is just like Wolverine, but I'm not invested in that character yet. You've got zero backstory for this character, but he's supposed to suddenly be just as cool. No, I, I think that they should have just gone with their own characters uh, and and not and not try to take swipes at the, the mainstream. I think they were so embittered by what was going on in the mainstream too that they wanted to just show, you know, ah, I'll show them. And I think what's different about the indie comics and comics gate is although we verbally swipe at the main, the big two, mm -hmm. and we say, you know, the, the comics they're writing now are crap. They're trying to shove an agenda rather than take a swipe at them in our books. I think most of the time, what we're trying to do is just make good comics without a, a political agenda in them. And without trying to teach you a lesson with our comics, we just want escapism entertainment. We're hearkening back to the 80s and early 90s when comics were fun. That's what we want to do. So I think in some ways, although there's similarities where there's a lot of professionals stepping out of the main, the big two, um, and, and making comic books, the difference here is they're just making good comics, not taking a swipe in their comics at the main. Mm -hmm. Because what I had to learn about the story around Image was that that what well you said was true, and the people that would write this so basically artists would create the characters and stories, but the writer they would have like their college roommate write the stories. Right. Yeah. The the writing the the images were flashy. They had some of the best artists in the industry step mm -hmm. out of the main the big two and become part of Image. So those best artists like Mark Silvestri, um, you know. Uh, McFarlane and Lee and a lot of the greats were were stepping away from that. But the problem is the writing was sort of lackluster or uh, it just wasn't it, it didn't it didn't endear them to us. Then why do you think companies like Dark Horse or Valiant haven't really been as impactful as Marvel and DC? Well, they came at a time where the market was getting so flooded with titles. I think that they got lost in the shuffle um, with 
at that time when Dark Horse and Valiant were really, you know, launching, that's when uh, DC and Marvel started really proliferating all of the characters with the multiple titles and all that. And it was just impossible to keep up. Mm-hmm. So that's that's about the time. Like I said, I did collect Valiant and uh, and Dark Horse and Image, but it just got to be too much. In fact, what I did was I went, I took Valiant back to my comic book store right at the time where they were at their peak. And I traded them all back in for store credit. All right. <laughs> they were at their peak. And I got good money for my Valiant comics. I bet I didn't pay for comics for about two years because I turned in all those Valiants and got store credit. So that was, I got out of Valiant right at the right time. Now, I did like the stories, but I was already so invested in Marvel and DC for so long. Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't want to stop collecting those in order to collect Valiant. So then the other thing I'll ask is you were around for the 90s explosion then, weren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, up until 1999, when I had to stop collecting. What else would you contribute to that time period as the reason why it imploded? Besides, like, pricing, overprinting of issues? Do you think it was just a collision of what what was going to happen anyway based off so many built-up things before? There was that and the fact that they were trying to do so many gimmicks at the time. Die-cut covers, uh, foil covers, um, you know, uh, hologram covers. And then... Right about that time, the variant covers started. And I think variant made it very, very difficult for completist collectors. One example I'll give you is the second series called Secret Wars. Number one had 45 variant covers. Okay, so because I'm a collector of all things She-Hulk, I wanted to get all of the all of the versions of Secret Wars because she was in it. But I, I literally couldn't. Because as soon as they were released, a couple of them were store uh, exclusive. Mile High mm-hmm. Comics in Denver, Manhattan, or uh, what's the one in Manhattan? I, I, Manhattan Comics. I, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. remember the name <laughs> of it. But, but whatever it is, they had store exclusive covers that there was only like 50 of them printed. So the minute they were released, they were like $350 on eBay. So in order for me to get every issue of that, you know, every variant of that issue of Secret Wars, I literally couldn't. So I felt as a collector, I felt pretty defeated. Now, some Mm -hmm. people say to me, well, then just don't buy them all. You know, just get the get the few covers you can get the ones you Mm -hmm. like. And that's it. And yeah, that that turned out to be what I had to do. But as a completist collector, I was very disappointed because I just couldn't collect them all. That that's another thing that I have an issue with now too is the whole variant cover thing. And I usually try to pick out the variant cover that I really really like, but then there always be like this happened with Godzilla versus uh Just League versus Godzilla one that just started this new series that's on issue number two right now. They made a reprint second issue with a different cover, and it's like, well, this looks great. It's like you'll buy the one cover you think is really really good, or you'll be a collector so you get like. Several of several others of them. Mm-hmm. Then two weeks later on, after the, the number one's done and you're about to be on number two, they'll release another special variant cover, number one again, and you're like, right. "What the fuck?" So and then the Untold yeah, Legends of the Batman is a good example. They issued the same cover, which was just a silhouette of Batman with the title <laughs> in the middle and five different colors in the background. So there was a red version, a blue version, a green version, a yellow version. 
That's all that was different about the cover. That was a cash grab, a, a, a greedy, money grubbing. I was so disappointed in them for that. Mm -hmm. um, so, and what's happening now is every issue, I'm, I'm going to say She-Hulk because that's the one I collect. Every issue of She-Hulk has at least six variants, at least. Mm -hmm. Every issue. So what's special about number three? Nothing. But the fact is that right. they're going to issue, you know, six variants of number three. Now, if you're going to have variant covers for number one, I get it. That's a big deal. You know, it's the first issue. You want you want to make it a, a big splash, a hype, you know, to get people interested. But unless something is milestone about it or the first appearance of a character or something is incredibly significant about an issue, stop making variants. Uh -huh. Just just stop it. <laughs> that's just that's all i got to say stop it full stop stop it <laughs> yeah stop it and get some help <laughs> yeah like jordan mean yeah i've seen that i, I don't yeah. mind having a. I don't mind having like one or two variants but then they'll they what is the point of coming out with an issue number one variant cover if you're trying to sell issue number two that it, yeah, that's me just feels so fucking scummy and the one i really hate about variant covers dude is when they I don't buy these, so they're just a complete scam. Nothing but just the title of the book, and it's just white. I hate that oh, so much. The sketch I covers, think that is yeah. the yeah, I think that is the most disrespectful thing you can do. It's just all they did is just print the title of the book and the logo of the character, and it's just white. Who would buy that? Well, Who? people buy what? that to take it to a convention and then have their favorite artist draw the character mm -hmm. on it. Mm. Or like, probably at the point, sign it, so you're not gonna damage the inside of the book, actually. Right. I just couldn't right. get into it, dude. I was like, I'm spending my money on that. A blank white canvas for a book. If I got that in the mail, I'll, I think I got some fucking copy paper. Like, what is that? <laughs> right. Uh, I so I want to I want to ask you this too, which is um, I mean, I'm pretty sure the industry is never gonna gonna get fixed, but let's say the industry did burn because <laughs> mostly on fire right now. Do you think anyone's okay. ever gonna do you think anyone's really ever gonna acknowledge all these problems outside of anybody that's not in the industry because it feels like even when people do highlight what you could do to get better it's still not clicking in their heads that it's a bad so, that no one's care about these stories anymore so the answer to your question is anybody going to understand that recognize it and do something about it the mm -hmm. answer is yes that's us yeah in indie comics is doing something about it we're doing it different we're doing it better um we may not have the reach that they do because they've been involved in distribution channels for decades. So we do have a difficulty there. We don't have the marketing deep pockets that somebody like Disney has because Disney can spend uh, $2 million on marketing for a project mm -hmm. that nobody buys and they just write it off. Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to get my eyes on my project because I don't have $2 million to spend on marketing. If right. I did, things might be a little different, but yeah, so as indie comic creators, we do have that struggle. Uh, some of us aren't industry pros that haven't been, you know, in the industry for 30 years, so we don't have a built-in audience. We're, okay. we're doing what we can to reach a smaller audience, um, trying to reach outside of the circle. Like you mentioned CG a little while ago. Uh, I got some backers from CG. God bless them. I'm really grateful for them. Mm -hmm. But I really need to – I need people outside of CG to see the comic and see that it's uh, – you know, it's worth reading. It's worth getting. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's a great book and it's based on a great story. So it has nothing to do with labels or who, you know, trying to, you know, put it to the main or, you know, no, 
I just want you to enjoy the escapism entertainment that is Dojo Kun Comics. So I want to ask you about that, the latter half of the show, which is your name, Dojo Kun Comics. So what? Would, so after you say it was the final star of the mainstream, you were done. You're just only going to do She-Hawk at this point now. Let's say with me, I'm only going to do a few characters too. Even that's kind that? of questionable. <laughs> yeah, have you seen that She-Hulk stuff recently? Right. <laughs> Good Lord. What was, so? I, so the inspiration came from, I imagine, all the failings that you got from these two. So how many books have you actually done so far? So uh, the book that I'm working on now would be the 14th book that I published. So, 14, um, okay. Yeah, I've been publishing since 2014. Okay. Um, so here's here's how it happened. Uh, uh, like I told you, I stopped collecting in 1999 for about 14 or 15 years. When I got back into it, I decided I'm going to collect only my favorite characters. I'm going to have She-Hulk, Juggernaut, and Superboy, the one that had the black T-shirt with the red S. I really like that character. So those are the only three I was going to collect. Um, but I thought, you know, another way to, to express my creativity, because I'm a singer, I'm an actor, uh, I, I love doing those things. So here's another avenue of creativity. I'm going to write a comic book script. So I wrote a script for She-Hulk. I refined it for months. And I thought, okay, this is ready. I'm going to go take it to Marvel and see what they think. You know, I was, I was gung-ho. I was going to be a Marvel writer. So I looked at their website. And I, it took a long time to find it. But I said, you know, how do I submit to them? How can I do? The, the answer is you don't. The, the, the paragraph that I found says, you know what? Don't submit to us. Go get published and we'll find you. Like, oh, all right. So I went to a website called ZWOL, Z-W-O-L.org. It's, it's short for Zwolinski. I guess that's the name of the guy who created it. It's a place for writers, artists, editors, letterers, colorists to get together to make comic books. And you'll find people of various price points and various skill levels. You'll find some really good people and you'll find some people that need a lot of work. But the idea, I went there and I was looking for an opportunity to be a writer. Well, I found an ad on ZWall that said, we need somebody who will write comic books for us and help us with our accounting. I'm like... I've been an accountant for 16 years. I'm like, have we met? <laughs> so I sent them my resume and the script for She-Hulk. I said, here's, here's my writing capabilities. Here's my resume. I can help you with your accounting. They hired me within the hour. Okay, so I worked with that small press company called Affinity Press. Then I worked for another one called Red King Press. Well, they were their methodology of writing, I thought was too grandiose. They were trying to do too, too many things all at once. I felt that they were, they were biting off far more than they could chew. And when I told them that they didn't like it. So we, we kind of parted, parted on sour terms. Uh, we've come to terms since then. We're not hated enemies or anything like that. But um, in 2014, I decided I was going to strike out on my own and created Dojo Kun Comics. So you said this is going to be your 14th book. So is there anything that you would do now in your 14th book that you obviously wouldn't have done for your other 13 books that you've already published? Um, well, what I'm doing right now, the book that I have crowdfunding right now called The Shifter, is it's an exclusive license to take a, a young adult trilogy of novels and adapt them into a comic book form. So that's stepping away from the superhero genre, which is, you know, my my main genre for my comics. And one of the things it's doing too is it's 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 toning down the 
the supernatural, if you will. There is some supernatural uh, aspects of this comic, which is why it appealed to me. But uh, it's different in that this will appeal to all ages, all audiences. And that's that's sort of the direction I'm taking the company now, at least for the time being. Uh, did, and did you all did you all the stuff through crowdfunding with your other thirteen books? Actually, uh, no. For the first, uh, let's see. So the first eleven books, I self created, self published, and they're currently all available on Indie Planet. So oh, it's, it's okay. print to order. So you can go to if you go to my website and you click on one of my titles, it'll take you to Indie Planet, and then you can order it. They'll print it and ship it to you. That's yeah, for most I have of my a- titles. I just had on Jack V. Lloyd, his book, The Voltanarist. His book Vol- today. Voluntarist. Voluntarist. God, that is a mouthful name. I his book, the trade paperback, just came in. So I'm, I'm gonna get it tonight whenever I get paid. I gotta I I told him I was gonna get it. His book looked great, honestly. So yeah, Indie Planet's a great I watched the episode. <laughs> yeah, why can I why can I pronounce that character's name just beyond me? Ugh, you just Lord. gotta think of you know, somebody who's volunteering. So Volunte- they're voluntary. Yeah. He's a voluntarist. <laughs> I don't the, his cover with I his cover man it's villain is literally just gonna look like Satan that is yeah imagine having that on your shelf just Satan looking at you that is okay <laughs> right <laughs> so, so now yeah, that, that you've did been look able like to, a good book so now that you, you've been able to like crowdfund some books right what would be advice you could give to people that would be, be just getting in right now for this actually okay so crowdfunding is a very uh it's a diverse group of people with differing opinions. There are people who say you need to have the book completely done before you launch your crowdfunder so that as soon as the crowdfunding campaign is done, you can ship your book out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, there's definitely some pros to that, but what that requires is a lot of upfront capital that a lot of people don't have. The whole point of crowdfunding in my opinion is to get the crowd to participate in the production of this book. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. Uh, this book here, The Shifter, I, I can't afford to pay for the artist to do all of these pages and then the colorist and then the letterer and then the editor. Okay, all of that is I can't wear all of the hats. Now, I know some people that are pretty good friends of mine who are writers and artists, so they can do that all, all themselves and they don't have to pay for other people to do it. So can they get their book done before they launch? Yeah, they probably could but they've got to really put their nose to the grindstone and get it done, you know? So um, the people who are capable of doing, wearing all of those hats, you know, kudos to them. I'm jealous because I'm hashtag just a writer. You know what I mean? So uh, I've got to hire all those things to get done. So I need the crowdfunding to pay for all of that. Then once that's paid for, get the artist going and, and all that, and then fulfill at the end. With with my first project that I crowdfunded, Siamese, it was a trade paperback of the uh, four-issue miniseries, Siamese, that I had produced previously. And then, of course, there was a lot of extras in it that weren't in the floppies. So what that did was that meant that I already had all four of those issues done and that I just had to put the trade paperback together and get the crowdfunding to pay for the printing, the, the postage, and the packaging, things like that. So, yeah, if you're going to crowdfund, and you're the artist too, good for you. Get the book done before you launch. If you have to hire them out, then I think it's perfectly reasonable to crowdfund before you've got it all done and just, you know, maybe get five to 10 pages done ahead of time with your own funds so you can show people the quality that you intend to produce. 
So going to your website right now for anyone who hasn't been there, I'm going to show it off right now. So for all your other titles, people can purchase them just through Indie Planet and they'll be able to get starting there at the book ones, right? Yep. Okay. And going through like Indie Comics now, do you think like there's going to be that boom where people just almost get rid of like their mainstream stuff and just start coming over to create our own books actually? Yes. I really do. I think that people are becoming so disillusioned with Marvel and DC, all of the misfires and all the, the, the fact that they're just, they don't care about Canon. They don't care about their fans. They, they're just looking for the ESG dollars. They don't care if Marvel comics and DC comics lose money. They're making so much money on the movies that the comic books are just a loss leader. They get their ESG dollars, their um, environmental, social, and uh, governmental dollars, governance dollars, through check, uh, you know, uh, checking the ticking off the boxes. Like, do we have uh, this in our books? Do we have that in our books? Do we have that in? Okay, then we're going to get governmental assistance, and that money goes to them, and we'll we'll basically make up for the fact that the comics themselves are losing money. So having said all that, with the disillusionment that fans have with the the main, the big two, they're going to start going to indies exclusively, in my opinion. I, I honestly feel like it's only just a matter of time. Like how much money can someone spend on these guys to the point where they're, they're realizing, wait a minute, this is this Yeah, is if we could good. reach all of the people who are comic fans who are spending money on DC and Marvel still and wondering, is there a better alternative? If we could reach those people we would be successful and we'd be giving them the escapism entertainment that they really crave. Mm -hmm. It's just what I always tell people that are involved with this space, not, not, not just it'd be like more of the fans is if you're genuinely interested in seeing alternatives, then people don't understand the, the amount of hands that have touched that comic book that you probably bought at your comic shop, the amount of just shit that's happened since you just were getting that book. A lot of people have touched that. Be factoring mm -hmm. when you're just doing it yourself, you're funding all that yourself. Uh, editors, writers, artists, all that stuff. Some people now are able to do like some of the jobs themselves, which will cut down costs. But for the most part, I'm not an artist. I'd have to pay one. I can't draw. Right. That artist costs a lot of money. Pencilers, inkers, letterers, all, all that costs a lot of money, actually. You know? It does. Yep. And as you know, Joe Biden can definitely run a great economy, right? <laughs> oh, Lord. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. This is Dojo Kun Comics, my website. Currently funding is the, it's Janice Hardy's The Healing Wars, book one, part one, The Shifter. So with Janice, I have an exclusive license to take her trilogy, which you see sort of in the middle of the screen there at the bottom. It's The Shifter, uh, Blue Fire, and Darkfall. Those three novels um, are aimed sort of at a younger audience, but really I didn't read it till I was 53 and loved it. Uh -huh. Um and because I loved it, I was talking to my friend about it. And he said, oh, yeah, I read that. Do you want to talk to the author? I'm like, yeah, how how can you get me in touch with the author? He said, I work with her husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So that was very serendipitous. So he got me in touch with her husband, who got me in touch with Janice. And Janice and her husband are kind of fans of comics, not like you and I are. But they like yeah. they like comics. And they's like, that's, she said, that's a great idea. I would love to do that. So we hammered out a licensing agreement. And... Uh, you know, this this book is coming to pass, I hope, if I can get it funded. Um, the Shifter, 
It's about, and it's a female protagonist who has very meager beginnings. She's an orphan, she's homeless, and she has an ability to shift pain from one person into another. Okay. She's got to keep that a secret from the invading army that has conquered her nation, because if they found out, they would weaponize her against her own people. So she's got a hero's journey that she goes through. I would say if I was going to compare this set of, tri this trilogy of novels to another set, I would say it's a lot like the Hunger Games or Divergent. Okay. It's not a mirror image of those. Janice has her own world and world building. But if I was to compare it to something, that's what I would compare it to. And you know how successful Hunger Games was. Divergent, yes. not as much, but Hunger Games was big. And I think this could rival Hunger Games if Hollywood ever takes a look at Janice's work. <clears throat> Hollywood, are you listening? <laughs> See, uh, if, Hollywood listening. Oh, God. Maybe my yeah, right. Back. <laughs> what? If, if, if movies are made of her novels, obviously she'd be the one to get the money. But mm -hmm. it would also engender interest in my comics if we get these things published. So I'm all for somebody optioning her novels as uh, movies. That would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And let's go down here to some of your other stuff right here. What's this one called? This is Siamese 2, Trident's New Alliance. So Siamese was my first four-issue miniseries. It's the first one I, writ I wrote. And uh, that was my trade paperback. This will be Siamese 2, where she they, they get the band together. Basically, it's like bringing superheroes together. It would be my version of the Avengers, if you will. Sorry about that. What else we have down here? Projectile Reptile? Projectile Reptile. That's currently in demand on Indiegogo. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it just has a few covers. Uh, I got some great artists. I got Peter Orchard Studios, the one on the far right. Shelby Robertson did the second one from the right. Mm -hmm. uh, Renzo Rodriguez did the one with the two ladies on the cover. And then the interior artist, uh, Cayus, is the one who did the first cover there, uh, which is the, to the far left. What else we have down here? Oh, yeah. So basically, guys, something Andy Planet does is like what Amazon does when they have all they put, they print books on demand. Andy Planet is it's the same thing as that. So there you yep. go. And uh, let's do right here, upcoming projects. So yeah, the shifter is right here. I'm gonna go to your Indiegogo campaign page right now. Give me one sec. Nope, it's on Fund My Comic. Fund My Comic, oh my goodness, my, my, my brain is fried. I'm getting old. Why am I so old? Good Lord, it's probably half my age, stop it. <laughs> I'll be 29 <laughs> next week. <laughs> okay, not quite, you're, you're a little bit more than half my age. <laughs> but not a whole lot. Oh my, my god! The last superhero movie, last superhero movie I watched in theaters was The Flash, and I, I like wanted to snap my neck. That movie is terrible. It, it was terrible. I liked a couple of scenes, but for the most part, yeah, it was crap. I love The Flash so much. I love that character. I love Barry Allen, but holy mother of God, was that movie just a steaming pile of garbage? Yep. You know it's bad when they have to resurrect dead people for cameos. <laughs> <What the laughs> right. hell? Good lord, man! All right, so let's go here. I'm trying to make sure the page is a bit larger. There we go. Should be at 150 standard. Okay, there we go. On my comic right here. Let's see. Cover A, art by Zilson. Cover, cover A. So Zilson Costa is the interior artist, and I've been working with him for years. He did the uh, interior art for Siamese 3 and Siamese 4. Mm -hmm. So he and I have been working together since 2014. We have a great working rapport.
Uh, one of the covers of Projectile Reptile was done by Renzo Rodriguez, and he returns to Dojo Kun with this cover right here. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So that's that's Renzo's work. Um, he the first the first version of this cover, Naya was super sexy, and I had to tell him, "Yeah, this is a 15 year old. We need to sort of tone that down a little bit." Renzo. And he's <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you." <laughs> so he changed it up a little bit. As you can see, Zilson's interior art is phenomenal. He is so good with facial expressions. Really detailed, details. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he. I can't wait for him to do this whole book. I've got I got. You're going for that certain. Um, I don't. I, I forget. I can't really name which time period you're going for, but it, there's a certain this time period is, structure you're going for, or maybe in a flashback. But it looks really good. This is no. This is the era that it's set in. I would say this is. The end of the Renaissance, the very beginning of the Industrial Age. That's about when mm. this is. Okay. Wow. Good. So we've got a, a 20 page making of Ashcan. We've got a coloring book, which is 22 pages. You're th that's it right there. There's a, a one of a kind sketch card by Dave Ryan. He drew this and there's glitter in the ink. So this is can't be reproduced. It's the one of a kind. And then this one here is the 3D printed Danello's blade. Uh, his blade is featured prominently on Renzo Rodriguez's cover, but also on the main cover, you'll see his blade. And it's just, it's so unique that I asked somebody local to print this for me. And I love how it came out. It came out with this like black and red ink. And that's the tone that you'll get if uh, if you back this, this uh, tier of the campaign. There's only 10 available. It takes about 16 hours to print this. 16 hours? That's yep. crazy. Each. 16 hours each to print it. Stretch goals, creative stretch staff. Goals, we, we didn't do much with stretch goals yet because we don't want to sound like we're overconfident. I'm, I'd love to reach these stretch goals, but let's mm -hmm. first get the comic book funded. We're only about 6% funded right now. We've got a long way to go on the campaign as far as timing goes. Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that it gives people enough time to uh, you know, realize that I definitely want to back this, but maybe I have to wait till my next payday. So we've got 316 days left on this campaign. The, okay. the great thing about Fund My Comic is you can make it a year long if you want, which is what I did. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that people come back to this in the future and give it a chance because it's it's really a great storyline. I love what Janice did with the world, and mm -hmm. I'm trying to capture it as best I can with her vision. And the great assistance I have with that is – Janice is my editor. Mm. So you just launched not too long ago, right? Right. It, well, it, it launched, um, let's see, there's 13, there's 316 days to go. So it launched about 54 days ago. Okay. It's not too bad. Yeah. Getting traction for this stuff, man, it's, it's really hard as I've noticed, you know, it is, I don't know what it is, but lately it feels like, there are so many people throwing their hat in the ring that the amount of discretionary income that's out there to, to back these projects is getting a little thin. So you've got to have something that's special, something that's uh, unique, something that really grabs the attention and shows quality. And I think that one of the things that helps with Dojo Kun comics is the fact that I've, I've published 14 books already. So mm -hmm. you know you can back this with confidence. You're going to get the book. And... How has, your, how has it been working with all these many different writers and artists throughout the years and editors? Well, most of my books I wrote. 
So um, okay, and then <laughs> that makes with, it easy. <laughs> yeah, and the editing is done by uh, somebody local who's a good friend of mine. So you know that that helps. Um, there there are, however, a few books with the Dojo Kun label that are written by others, and uh, you know they've reached out to me when they saw I was doing this and asked if they could write for me. And I said, well, you know, let's see what you got. Send me your script. And the ones that I thought were the best, I went ahead and put under my banner. Um, and uh, I think I think it's worked out well. And then how have, as a writer, because you have an artist, how have you been able to convey your thoughts to them to make sure the panels come out the way you want them to be? My methodology of writing is to write it as if it was the script of a play or a screenplay. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an actor and I have been since I was in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So... I picture it all as if I'm reading the script of a play. So when I write it, I write the dialogue. I write the camera angle, if you will. What if this is an upshot? This is, you know, from above. I write it all very, very specifically. However, I do give my artist leeway. If they have a better idea, because they are the artist, they've got that artist's vision. They, uh, Zilson will come to me sometimes, pretty rarely, but every once in a while he'll say, I know you wanted this to be from above, but what do you think about this? And he'll show me a sketch of what he, his vision is. And I would say almost every time I go with his version because he's, he's just that good. We've got such a good rapport um, and super kudos to him because English isn't his first language. He doesn't speak English very well, but he interprets what I've written very, very well. Certainly, I can speak zero Portuguese, but he can speak very good <laughs> English compared to my Portuguese. <laughs> so, throughout all those many years of doing this, the 10 years are about, yeah, but it's going to be 10 years very soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, almost 10 years coming up. Do you think it was all worth it for all the books you, that you've made and all the fans That's you've probably accumulated? Because certainly it's not made me a bunch of money. This is my hobby. Comics don't make money. That's what I no, learned. No. Comics will break your heart if you're in it to try to be to be rich. Okay. Com I don't remember who said that, but comics will break your heart. I think it was it might have even been Kirby. Um, but uh, <laughs> here's here's the thing. This is my hobby. It's my lifelong passion. I've been collecting for 50 years. So to have the opportunity to publish my own, the first time I held a comic in my hand that had my name on the cover as the writer was surreal. I thought this is. I made this. This is cool that I made this happen. So yes, it's all been worth it. Now you might say, yeah, but that's a lot of money, Brian. It, it is. But you know what? Ask a fisherman how much money he spends on his hobby or a hunter or a guy who's a, a gearhead who works on cars. How much money do they spend on their hobbies or somebody who's a, a golfer? You know what I mean? I, I used to golf. I know what those greens fees are. And once you're done with the round of golf, what do you have to show for it except your scorecard? For me, this hobby that I'm involved in, I can show, you know, my sons, look, you know, dad might be a geek, but I made this comic book. What do you think? And they've been very supportive. So that's kind of cool. So and you're also married. You probably have kids. Is your wife supportive of your adventure too? She is not at all interested in it, but very supportive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's how she, most. She's never, yeah. she's never picked up a comic book in her life to read it. <laughs> but she supports the idea that this is something that I do, that I love, that I'm a, a YouTuber. Uh, you know, every Wednesday night, I, I, I'm I a host of a show called Incendiary. I'm on a lot of shows like yours, I, which I really appreciate to get more eyes on the books that I'm 
publishing and producing. So um, yeah, she's she's very supportive. And yeah, we we have five sons between us. Good lord, good. God. Yeah, I have, I have two sons. She has three sons. We're a mixed family. <laughs> and looking at just throughout all this time being. Because like writing is a big portion of the comics too. And you mentioned before the storytelling would get you almost out of it at a single point. How'd you go about improving your writing style throughout the many books you've written so far? What I've done is I've taken constructive criticism and taken it to heart. A couple of people who are seriously concerned for me that want to see me succeed have talked to me in the back rooms and in the DMs and have been, uh, you know, they've been pretty critical but they've been polite about it and did so with what I feel is, you know, the heart of trying to make things better for me. So I, I do take that to heart. Um, mm. Also too, I try to emulate some of the greats. Now, whether or not I'm reaching their level, I think is up to the fans to decide. I'd hate to, you know, pat myself on the back and say, I can write as good as them. But the two writers that I try to emulate best are Marv Wolfman mm-hmm. and Chris Claremont. Marv Wolfman really, really hit his stride with the New Teen Titans back in the 80s. The New Teen Titans, I think, is the gold standard in comics Um, with his team characterization. And then with George Perez on art, how can you how can you beat that? You know, the only one that came even close, in my opinion, is Chris Claremont with his writing of the Uncanny X-Men. And of course, he on the art, he had John Byrne. Uh, That's I mean, that's a match that it's hard to beat as well. So trying to emulate those two writers is, is why I think that, you know, my writing is as good as it is. Mm-hmm. And going on to 2024, you know, <laughs> got any big plans for your channel uh, or anything else you, you've been doing actually? Yeah. With the channel, what we do is we try to make it unique. We, we don't just shill the books. I like your style too. You come on and you have a, a, a great discussion about, the, the industry itself, or I know with Jack B. Lloyd, you had to talk about taxation and libertarianism and things like that. So I like how you start off with a good discussion with your guest and then later talk about their book. What we've done is we've decided we're going to have a debate about uh, like a very clickbaity topic. <laughs> and then after that debate, then we go into talking about the guest's comic book that they're producing. Hmm. So like last night, our debate was, can you have too many campaigns? And the answer is, well, it depends on how you're going about doing it. Are you launching a campaign, fulfilling that campaign, launching a campaign, fulfilling that campaign? If that's your methodology, then no, you can't have too many campaigns. That's great. You're a machine. Like Mark Poulton, the Mar- the moral compass, he's producing book after book after book. Mike Barron is another good example. And my guest last night, Edwin Acevedo, he's on like num- book number six now. So people who are doing that and fulfilling that's okay. So anyway, we, we come up with a very controversial topic. It's clickbaity. And then we, we have fun with the debate. It's tongue in cheek. We, the guest picks a side, he picks which of our panelists is going to be on his side. And then the other folks are against him. So, you know, we, no matter what you believe you're debating, perhaps you're even debating a side you don't believe in, but it's just meant to all be in fun. Um, hopefully more people understand that that's all it is. We recently had somebody get super offended by one of our uh, clickbaity titles and basically tried to cancel us. And uh, yeah, he can go pound sand. I don't, I don't even want to say his name because that was so silly. I think either he's too stupid to understand that a debate, our debates are only meant to be all in fun, or he did understand that and intentionally misunderstood. 
You know what I'm trying to say? Like he was misunderstanding for his own uh, narrative so that he could, I don't know, create drama. Either way, I don't want to give him oxygen because I thought it was silly. Please understand, anybody who's watching this, our debates are just meant to all be in fun. We even have a disclaimer with clown music in the background that says <laughs> the, the panelists might be expressing views that they don't actually hold. It's just for fun, folks. Lighten up. <laughs> yeah, what I've noticed comic is books people, are meant to be fun. They don't people a lot of people just don't have I mean they're just they don't go outside and they don't have any friends. So when they hear <laughs> so when they have people going back and forth like that, they're like, Oh, this this is like a hostile environment. And I and they're like, I must contribute something, I must fix it. And it's like, no, this is I hate people like that, dude. It, 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 it's a person where all they do is just go out and try to ruin other people's fun. And I hate people like that. That's probably one of my biggest pet pieces. If you don't know the environment of something, what what why would you even attempt to make that approach? And I just uh people are yeah. so trash. <laughs> we, we can't we can't stand drama. We can't stand real drama or drama farmers. On my channel, we just Mm -hmm. We we create fake drama. We're like play, like when we we did a we did a show one time that called uh, "Do Women Belong in Comics?" All of us agreed, yes, they do. But but the two people who were supposed to argue against that were were they were having fun with it? Like, oh no, women are bad and women wreck everything. And it was just meant to be in fun. In fact, the guest that night was a woman who was creating comic books, and she's great. It was Carissa Grant. She was on talking about her books and. Her books are great, and we, we loved having her on. She was warned, don't go on to that show. He's comics gay. You're not going to – she's like, oh, shut up. She had a great time. Her fans were in our chat. They had a great time. We, we, we're not misogynists. We're not racists. We're not transphobic. We're not homophobic. We uh -huh. just love comics. All of you are welcome. We, we don't care about any of those labels. If you're making great comics, come to our show. We'll talk about your comic. Yeah, that's really interesting too. Is that's all people really want? Like what Chuck Dixon said, they want you know non-preachy lecturing stories. They just want good entertainment. That's all people yes. want. You know, they don't want to be lectured. Like who wants to go to their fucking books and be lectured? I just I don't get it actually. Right. Oh, there Lord. are places you can go to get lectured, and those are called college. Or you can go to <laughs> people can go spend their money on OnlyFans. That there you go. You can get lectured there by women. Yeah, and I don't think anybody wants to do that. <laughs> Unless you're nope. just so down bad, you don't even go outside <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Uh, last thing I should because you got to head out. Is uh, anything else you want to say? Special shout outs to anyone in particular and any, any closing thoughts you have, actually? Yes. So, for Incendiary, come see us every Wednesday night at 10 o'clock. Uh, the, the channel is called Dojo Kun Comics on YouTube. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Dojo Kun Comics. You can even reach me on email if you want, dojokuncomics at gmail.com. Check out dojokuncomics.wixsite.com slash dojokuncomics for all of those comics that uh, Master Swag King showed you a few minutes ago. Check a few out on Indie, on Indie Planet. See what you think. And if you like us, support us on Fund My Comic with our current campaign, The Shifter. Yes, sir. And thank you guys for showing up. For the show uh make sure to check out indie planet for the books because people keep up they always ask can i start at number one yes any planet will have them and just in case they don't have them it's not because they're not putting them up it's because jack told me earlier today that they could be backed up so you just might have to wait but make sure you check periodically to see if they're there because today his book went up so if you guys are waiting for your book to be there so my number ones or number twos then they could also be there right now actually and the whole shipping <laughs> thing the whole shipping fulfillment is it's crazy oh that's the last thing i'll ask 
shipping and fulfillment. How have you handled that process with all your books, actually? Okay, so for those that are on Indie Planet, those are print to order. So Indie Planet prints them and then ships them out immediately. Okay, mm -hmm. so those are all available now. For the ones that I'm crowdfunding, I I had them printed by Mixum. They're shipped to me in mass, and then I package them and ship them from here at home. You don't do you, is your or your wife helps out or your kids help out with that, or you just do it all yourself? I just do it all myself so far. That's insane. I, I hope that it gets to the point where I have so many orders that I need their help. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. And thank you guys for checking this so episode of the Iron Man podcast. Yeah, man. Anytime can we have you on for a second appearance very, very soon? You know, probably after the holidays, because I'm old and I gotta get my wife thrown out the house. <laughs> she asked for too much. <laughs> She has too much around here. I'm not even married. I'm married to my pillow. Where's my pillow at? Can't find it. Okay. Hmm. Oh, it's just a bag of chips over there. Guys, it's just, it's just jokes. I don't, I don't even have pillows, honestly. I haven't slept on a pillow in a while, honestly. Holy crap. I'm just Sometimes when I when I get to sleep, I just go to sleep. I don't, I don't even dream anymore some days. Some days I just go to bed because I'm so tired. I just pass off for the entire night. No dream. <laughs> I wake up and I go, huh, all right. Time to start it up again. <laughs> See you guys later. Have a great night, everybody. Peace out. Hey.